From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. On this week's episode, we are honored to be joined by an incredible producer. In 2020, she won the Film Independence Producer Award, and over the last decade, she has made some just stunning films, including The Writer, Songs My Brother Taught Me, Swallow, and of course, her latest film, Golden Lion winner at the Venice Film Festival and a Golden Globe nominee. I'm talking about Nomadland, Molly Asher. Thank you for joining us today on Film Forward. Thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful introduction. I could have kept going, but we would uh, we'd run out of time if I, <laughs> if I kept going with the accolades. So <laughs> congratulations on just a really beautiful film. I've watched it three times already. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, thank you so much. One of the beautiful things I love about this movie and a lot of the films that you've made with Chloe is the seamless blend of reality and fiction. And there's one scene in particular I want to talk about with Nomadland, and that's the rubber tramp rendezvous, mm-hmm. just because it feels, as the viewer, that you guys were actually filming at a real rubber tramp rendezvous, and then I read after that you guys actually set this up. So I was just wondering if mm-hmm. you could talk me through what sure. it was like setting that up and what it was like filming it. Yeah, I think that one's a really great example of the way that Chloe works and the way that production works with Chloe. So originally we thought maybe we would shoot at a real RTR, but they're actually really huge right now. They're like 10,000 people go to the RTRs now. And we needed ours to be from one of the earlier ones where it was just around 50 people and also wanted to be able to have control over the set. So the planning of that took months, really. It was one of the first things that we started to work on just because we knew that it was going to be a whole production of not only getting the location, but also finding all of the van dwellers to be in the project. A lot of putting together the RTR was finding someone within the nomad community who could give us insight on what it originally looked like, and then also connecting us to people that would be in the film. And right. um, Sue who is in the film, who does the wonderful lesson on five-gallon buckets. <laughs> right. <laughs> she sent us wonderful pictures from the, from the early RTRs that were really helpful in designing the set. And then she also connected me to so many people who she thought, uh, who she kind of handpicked and thought they would be interested in being in the film. And then I started to reach out to those people, told them a little bit about what we were doing, you know, gauged interest. And then some of them suggested other people. And so I started to collect this group of people and created a document for Chloe so that she could see the, the faces, see the, the looks of their of their rigs, because um, they all have from, you know, a Prius to a, to a school bus, you know, there's all different kinds of, of rigs that people have. And so she had this document with also like little bits of things about each person, like so-and-so loves to make parties at uh, the RTRs. And so then she had that kind of like cheat sheet a little bit once she then got on set and was then talking to every single person individually as she decided who's going to have a, a speaking role or a featured role. So putting that together of all of the people to be involved took some time. And it was really part of the things that I love about working with Chloe is, is finding those communities and becoming a part of those communities in a sense. And that really is connecting with the people in a, in a really personal way. So 
we did all of that planning. And then it was quite a choreographed kind of coordination in order to get all of those vehicles into the space. I wish that there was a behind the scenes video of it because I was so proud of our production team (laughs) and how they did that such an organized way. And then it was really wonderful that like, you know, we created this RTR, but you know, everybody that was there was also just staying in their rigs overnight. And so it kind of became an RTR, you know, right, were, right. <laughs> and I think that that led to that lived in feeling, I think that is then seen on, on the screen. Yeah, they started to feel at home, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. As you're talking there, I kind of get the sense, it's almost like a documentary style filmmaking approach in that, not the setting up, but with documentary filmmaking, you have to develop this trust. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to, if you're going to step into this world and live with them and show these people for who they are, you need to develop this cohesiveness, this trust. And it seems like you've obviously done it with this film and you also did it with the writer and songs my brother taught me. But it's really remarkable to watch. It's a credit to you and Chloe. Just patient filmmaking, I think, is something to be treasured. And -hmm. it's obviously also a little bit of a luxury to, to have that. But I was just wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah, the trust is is a really big and important part of it. And I think Chloe's somebody that people open up to. I've known her a long time and I've always admired that about her. She can really get people just to open up and share things about themselves. And that builds trust, um, her, mm-hmm. the way that she's, she's a good listener. And then when we're building our team, we are looking for people who are also like that, people who are listeners and that people will trust. It's a special process of sort of casting our crew so that they match with the way that Chloe likes to work. And speaking of crew, you guys had, you know, a pretty small crew considering what what you guys were doing. Mm-hmm. I was watching a little piece with Joshua Richards, your cinematographer, mm-hmm. and he's talking about you guys shooting mostly in, you know, low light towards the end of the day, small LEDs and light panels, stuff like that. And he was telling this story of Joel Cohen visiting the set mm-hmm. and Joshua has like his big setup was a LED on a C stand and he kind of looks mm-hmm. at Joel's like, this is what we're doing. You know, it was a funny story, but hearing that and then seeing some of your BTS stills, mm-hmm. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, like minimalist filmmaking, you guys accomplish so well. And sometimes when I'm on set, I think to myself, you know, if we had about 40 less people here, I think we'd be moving <laughs> a lot faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, there, obviously some stuff you do need a big, a lot of gear, some stuff you do need a lot of crew, but mm-hmm. talk to us about the differences and working with this film and some of your other films with minimal crew, minimal setup. Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of a necessity with this kind of filmmaking to to have a, a small crew and, and minimal equipment because it just keeps you nimble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that it it's a creative choice too as to how Chloe and Josh want the film to look. Starting with Songs My Brothers taught me where it was it came out of a necessity because right. of financing reasons that we ended up paring it down to like a dock size crew and you know having minimal equipment. We even made our own sandbags. Wow. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then from yeah, from that though, they developed this style and this voice that I think just really lends itself to the way that they like to shoot. And it is fast setups, you know, like people that were on Nomadland who were, had not been on a shoot like that were just so surprised at how quickly we could just start shooting, you know, like there isn't that hour of lighting setup. And I think that that helps them as to getting the spontaneity and the feeling of being in a sometimes real places where you want to 
be able to just start shooting when you see something. And you guys would see stuff because you guys were shooting on the move as well, right? Like you guys were a traveling band, if you will. We were, yeah. There's a funny little anecdote about catching things while we were on the move. Like We were always trying to shoot even when we were moving from state to state and not letting any time go by where we weren't gathering some some kind of b-roll and um chloe had had in the script that fern sees a buffalo and of course you know we weren't gonna you know fly in a buffalo and plan that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so one of the co-producers of the film emily she was traveling from where we were to another setup another location and she saw on her way a buffalo and she knew that we were all going to be going along that same path because she was going to the next location that we were all going to be going to. And so she then called somebody who was on set and like it became this whole little phone calls to make sure of like, and, and she like placed down the GPS of, of where it was. And we found that Buffalo as we were driving to the next location. And that's like a one of those moments that it's just, you know, we're ready to capture and then we can capture something like that beautiful Buffalo. <laughs> And that shot just takes your breath away, doesn't it? Like, I remember the first time I saw it when she sees that, you're like, oh my God, it's a buffalo. It's yeah. uh, it's so cool. With Nomadland and, you know, the other films that you've done with Chloe, you're working a lot with non-professional actors, all of whom in all three films are incredible. But in this film, you're also working with a seasoned legend mm -hmm. like yeah. Francis McDormand. Talk to us, if you can, about working with both the juxtaposition, mm -hmm. if there is one, how do you prepare or shoot differently? We don't really shoot differently. It was incredible, first of all, to work with her. I mean, she's watching her work is like a, you know, a masterclass in acting. Um, yeah. And and so much of what she's doing is is listening. And I think that that's why she in particular and David Strathairn melded so easily into working with non-professional actors because they were great listeners. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, also what made the non-professional actors comfortable to be working with these, as you, as you said, these legends. As to uh, what's different, I mean, the two of them really jumped into the way that, the way that we were working. And so yeah. they adapted to how we were working. For us, there wasn't much of a, of a change in how we were working with, with the actors. And part of that probably comes from, again, as we talked about earlier, just the trust in you, the trust in Chloe, you mm -hmm. know, when they meet her, they're just like, the vision's there. Let's rock yeah. and roll. Yeah, there's a lot of trust. Yeah, that has to happen there. Trust in the process because it is mm -hmm. different than a normal traditional process. With the three films that you've done with Chloe, you also are revisiting the American West a lot in the Badlands. I think that you are in the Badlands again in this film, right? Mm -hmm. You guys have such a respect and like intrigue for this part of the country. And it's shot in a way that like I don't see it in movies ever. Mm -hmm. What draws you guys to to this area and what's it like revisiting it after you know like mm -hmm. you came out with this movie in 2014 15 or whatever and then yeah home is where the heart is i guess <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah i mean like once you you find a place that you're comfortable in and also that just constantly gives you beauty you know it's hard not to, mm -hmm. to keep going back yeah i mean chloe had originally uh, been drawn to the pine ridge reservation in south dakota and that is what brought her out to the west you know, I remember the first time that I went out there, I'm an East Coaster, I'm from Miami, but have lived in New York for 20 some years. I had never actually been to that part of the country. And it was jaw dropping how beautiful and vast and just incredible it is. And so, yeah, it's hard not to keep going back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just stunning to watch and looks great on screen. Something that I thought was really interesting on, on one of our scouts for Nomadland, 
with Josh, he was, you know, taking pictures and looking at this beautiful scenery as we were driving around. Um, I think it was actually on the um, other side of South Dakota than we normally shoot. And he said something about not wanting to find shots that were too beautiful, you know, Mm, not wanting the postcard shot. And I think that that's his mindset like that, I think somehow makes these, these beautiful images that to us look like, I do want a postcard that looks like that, but, but it's, it's his eye or seeing beyond what you would normally see as beautiful. Yeah, it's not, it's got a lived in feel. I, I don't know mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's, it feels very genuine. Yes. Speaking yeah. of genuine, as we were talking about earlier, just like blending reality and fiction, watching your films, it kind of feels like when you, when you're finished watching a documentary, it's a different emotional impact than when you're watching a narrative film. This film in particular gives you kind of both. So I was wondering for you as a producer, you know, as a producer, you walk away from every project feeling something or, you know, you've completed something, you're exhausted, you've got all these emotions running, but Mm -hmm. walking away from this project, once it's completed, Nomadland, living with these nomads, being on the road, what emotional impact did this film have on you, you know, as a producer and and personally? Yeah, I mean, a huge impact. I loved working with people who were my parents' age, actually. That was one of the things that I was really excited about with this project and hearing their stories. And there's so much there. And I felt like I had really been enriched by working with everybody in the project. And I'm so glad that we're all still connected and they're still in my life. I was just texting with with Swanky. And that's something that's really wonderful about working on these projects with Chloe. It's like the, the relationships stay and they grow and not just like we've wrapped and now moving on to the next project. Like they mm-hmm. become family. Yeah, it's, that's, it's amazing. This film brought up a bunch of questions in my life that I didn't even know I had, uh, Molly. <laughs> so kudos, congratulations. Obviously, I could talk about this movie for another day and a half, but we must move on. Nomadland, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a remarkable work. It will be available on VOD and Hulu this Friday, February 19th. It's also going to be playing in some select theaters and drive-ins across the country. So check your local listings because this movie is incredible on a big screen. Please go check it out and let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we return, Molly is going to help us out with our favorite segment, Gimme Three. We'd like to take a minute and give a very special thanks to our new sponsor, E-Minutes. E-Minutes is a company of entertainment lawyers who are dedicated to giving a platform to underrepresented voices by helping filmmakers form companies and other necessary legal entities. They're sponsoring a new award with LADFF called the Emerging Filmmaker Award and giving their services for free to the lucky winners. You can find out more about them by going to LADFF.com and clicking on the E-Minutes link. Hello, I'm Sonia, and this is my Movie Minute. This week, I listened to the Empire podcast episode with Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino. The topic was the joy of watching a movie in a theater with an audience. I've been deeply missing watching movies at the cinema, so the conversation sent me thinking about my favorite theater experience. My all-time fave is the first time I saw True Romance. I saw it in a theater on West 8th Street in the fall of 1993. I was 11. My mom and her friend Kieran took me to see it. Some would say I was too young to see a movie like that. 
but those people didn't have the pleasure of raising a wild child in New York City in the 90s. The movie was almost over and the audience was super into it. We had already seen Drexel's crazy ass and the eggplant scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. Now the climax when the mob, the cops, the movie mogul, and the lovers have the big shootout was about to start. And then the sound goes out. The picture's still playing, but no sound. Everyone's yelling and bitching as only New Yorkers can. Soon the movie stops altogether, and the movie theater employees come in to tell us that the movie isn't working and we'll all get refunds. But no, we didn't want refunds. We wanted to see the end of this awesome movie. So the whole audience refused to leave. Fix it. We'll wait. And wait, we did. (laughs) I think people were even smoking cigarettes in the theater back then. I don't know how long it took to come back on, but eventually the movie did come back on with sound. And it was amazing. Guns were blazing. Basically everyone was dead. The crowd was cheering. We had earned this ending and it delivered. Then the movie closes with one of my all-time favorite moments with Patricia Arquette looking at her family and cooing, you're so cool. I can't wait to get back there and live in another world with a bunch of strangers for a few hours. And I hope to share it with you when we can. That was my minute, maybe a couple minutes. Thanks for listening. Do you like to get pie after you see a good movie? Yeah, I love to get pie after a movie. Would you like to go get some pie with me? (laughs) (laughs) I love some pie. All right, welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We are talking with Molly Asher. She is the producer of the film Nomadland. She's about to hook us up with three film recommendations, films that have inspired her or inspired her work. Molly, give me three. Your first one is... Ratcatcher by Lynn Ramsey. Nice. I have not seen this movie, and I tried to watch it. It's not available to stream anywhere, unfortunately, but... I have it on reserve at my local video store. So once we're done with this interview, I'm going to go run down to Cinephile Video on Santa Monica Boulevard and rent it old school. Tell me about it. Well, first of all, it was kind of fun to think of three films. You know, it's hard to think of three films, but that film, it was really inspiring what she used, how she uses sound and details to tell a story. There's something poetic about the way that she captures images that, that speak to something much deeper. And I saw that film when I was in film school and it really, it's to this day, inspires me. Yeah, I've, like I said, I haven't seen this one, but I've, I've seen some of her other work and she finds these just magnificent places to put the camera that you just would like, oh my God, I would have never thought to put the camera there, but good God, mm-hmm. that's, gr- that's so great. She's incredible. Yeah, the opening image of that, it's, a, it's you, you don't realize what it is until it unfolds a little bit. So I won't tell you, but it's a really like beautiful opening. Amazing. I'm very excited to check it out. Ratcatcher, everybody. Uh, you can check it out. If you're in LA, check it out. Cinephile Video on Santa Monica Boulevard, right next to the New Art Theater. Support your local video stores. You can uh, rent it after me because I'm first. <laughs> okay, your second one, Molly. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Very different. <laughs> very different, but what a great rewatch. I, I hadn't seen it in about 10 years. And man, this mm-hmm. this film still just fires on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, I can watch that movie time and time again, and I am still moved every single time. And I'm still, I love the way that the story is told. One of the things that attracts me to the filmmakers I work with is interesting, bold ways of telling stories. And mm-hmm. this is right at the top. Yeah, you know, 
rewatching it last night, I was I was talking to my girlfriend. We were so impressed, just like how it's so complex and so complicated the way they tell the story, yet you are able to follow it and understand it like every single step of the way. That is mm-hmm. that is not an easy task. Yeah. And also you're just constantly being satisfied, whether it's like visually the mm-hmm. production design, the performances, like there is not a single frame of this film that is not incredible. It's uh, yeah, it's so true. It just has that this an emotional core, I think, to it that allows the narrative to be unconventional, mm-hmm. um, which is also something I think that that Chloe does very well, and why she's able to sort of veer off sometimes in her storytelling. But it's because there's a very clear emotional arc. Yeah, absolutely. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Thank you for recommending it because it was it was great to revisit. It had been on my revisit list for a while. And <laughs> I think it is available right now on Peacock for any Peacock uh, subscribers. All right. And Molly, your third and final, and one of my favorites also, is... Cabaret by Bob mm-hmm. Fosse. Yeah, Cabaret. I got to see this movie. I was late to the game on this movie, actually. I only saw this movie probably about a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I was lucky enough to see it, a repertory screening, 35 millimeter. Wow. And it was like, whoa, it just blew my hair back. The musical sequences are incredible. Liza Minnelli is just like this perfect mix of old Hollywood and new Hollywood sexuality. Like it's just pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. And so is Michael York, honestly. Like that guy is mm-hmm. super fine in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the first time you saw Cabaret? You know, I don't remember because it was a really long time ago. I My background actually was in musical theater. <laughs> oh, really? Um, in an, another lifetime ago. And so it was sometime then, you know, and I just fell in love with this like mix of being, of or this embracing of, ugly if mm-hmm. that makes sense yes and strangely enough actually i think that some of the, the dancers that are in the club are real dancers and they, they weren't like not professional on film dancers but yeah there's just this openness to not be beautiful and and to be a little awkward and embracing that and i think that it, it creates then bossy's own style there's a story that he when he was uh young he was pigeon-toed and so like had to be trained to walk straight but he embraced that then in in, in the way that he choreographs and so you know when you look at his choreography they're often you know the, the, the toes are pointed in and i and i love that idea of taking something that's a weakness or a challenge and and making that your style and your voice I didn't know that story. That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, I hope it's true. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I hope I didn't make that up somehow. <laughs> no, <laughs> to I'm do sure a fact check. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's gonna fact. Nobody fact checks anymore. It's all good. <laughs> it's, it's Bible now. Cabaret. It's it's an incredible film. The scene that stuck with me forever was that scene where the Nazi boy is singing "Tomorrow mm-hmm. Belongs to Me" or something, and everybody starts joining in and. You see Michael York's face. He's just like, Mm -hmm. yikes. We're we're screwed. (laughs) Right. Yes. The movie works on so many levels. Uh, Another great rewatch. Thanks again. I could watch this movie anytime, any day, but an excuse is always nice. Mm -hmm. Molly, I want to 
Thank you for your picks. Thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts and feelings on Nomadland. Major, major congratulations on just another stellar work. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yes. Thank you again. We'll catch you next time. Everybody listening to Film Forward, check out Nomadland, available February 19th on VOD and Hulu. Let us know what you think. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.